Welcome to It's All Political, the Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the senior political writer here at the Chronicle, and our guest today is former California Senator Barbara Boxer. Uh, Senator, welcome to It's All Political, because you know better than anybody that it is all political, correct? Well, it sure feels that way these days. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much to talk to you about, uh, and, uh, and, and since you left the Senate, you said, I'm unleashed and uncensored, which I, I don't remember you ever being leashed and censored while you were in the Senate, so this will be interesting to see. Well, the truth of the matter is, when you are an office holder, you do have certain constraints, and I don't have any anymore. All so. right. Yeah. So we're talking today uh, the, on the day before the Women's March, occurring in hundreds of cities around the country, including San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. And you, uh, you remember these were huge last year and responsible for inspiring hundreds of women to run for office. I saw some numbers the other day. There are 414 women, including 328 Democrats and 86 Republicans who filed to run. That's four times as many as there were in 2015. You were a huge part of the last year of the woman, 1992. What's, what's different this time? I think there are many things that are different, but the, but the most important thing, I think, is this acknowledgement by the people of the country that women are just not being treated fairly. I mean, this whole Me Too movement, um, the fact that women don't get paid as much as a man doing the same job, the fact that we get harassed on a regular basis uh, if it isn't assault. Um, so uh, the difference between now and all the different things that have happened in the past, like Anita Hill going forward from there, mm -hmm. there I think people now believe the women, and that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the women themselves are saying, I've got to go for the goal. I've got to go for the, for the power. Because all of this that we've seen is related to abuse of power. Mm -hmm. And if women are in power um, in general, these kinds of harassment incidents don't occur as much. Now, there are some exceptions, but there's nothing to compare to what happens um, when you look at the statistics right. in terms of abuse of power. And then th you saw that this week the House rolled out some new rules governing sexual harassment in, in the House and require mm -hmm. members of Congress to pay for settling the sexual harassment claims against them uh, instead of you know, taking it out of the, the, the public kitty. Uh, do you think any of these rules, new rules are going to have any effect in deterring sexual harassment? Well, one would hope it wouldn't be about money, that that would, that yeah, that's <laughs> that that would not be the reason. But, but to be crass about it, these guys thought you know, they could get away with it and have the taxpayers pick up the tab. So I definitely support the fact that no longer will that be the case. Will that deter people? Probably some, but not all, because one of the things you find out when you really dive into a lot of this is that you know, people with a lot of power think they can get away with everything. Mm -hmm. And look, Trump said it. He said, I could be on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and people won't care because you know, he thinks he's so powerful. And obviously... He may be right on the point, at the, you know, yeah. at least with 37%. At least, of the exactly, people. at least with his base, it seems to be true. Right, right. Um, 
Now you, you, a couple months ago, you came out and you started talking about your own Me Too moment when you were serving in the House. Can you tell that to, to us here? And, and sure. you know, what happened and how did that kind of shape um, sure. your career? In the, in well, actually, my real Me Too moment occurred when I was a student. And I was uh, graduating from Brooklyn College in New York. And Stuart and I had gotten married. So I was married at 21, and I was finishing up college. And I got I always got great grades. And I was uh, a major in economics, a minor in poli-sci. And I was running a terrific grade average. And it mattered to me because I thought I might go to grad school. So a professor gave me a C-, and I almost fainted because I always got A's and B's. So I call him up to make a long story short. It was a trick to get me to his office. It was the end of the year. No one was there. The guy said, uh, the professor, well, we'll go over your final. So I said, great. So Stu drove me over there. He was waiting downstairs. I go in, and uh, bottom line, he didn't have the test there. You know, I said, well, where's the test? Mm. And he says, uh, Oh, we don't need that. I said, well, what are you talking about? And I began to suspect something was weird. And he said, well, I just had to tell you, I've always thought you were so perky and, you know, you were my favorite. And I said, well, if I'm your favorite and I'm perky, why do you give me a C minus? <laughs> and he says, well, we could talk about it. And I said, no, I don't want to talk about it. You didn't bring the exam. What's going on here? Bottom line, he throws me up against the wall. Oh Seriously. God. Yeah. And he puts his face, he looked like he was about 85, of course he must have been 50, <laughs> and starts to kiss me, and I almost threw up, and I grabbed the door and ran out of there. And Stu said to me, what's wrong? I told him, he said, we're going back up there, we're going to punch him out. And I said, wait a minute, this man can stop me from graduating, and I have to go to work because you're going to law school. And he said, I'm going to, and we decided we couldn't do anything about it because he was so powerful and so beloved no one would have believed me in a million years that was my real me, me too moment and i never talked about it except to Stu. we knew about it until anita hill and then i went public with it what i talked about in terms of being a freshman member of congress was being at a hearing with a bill to save the baby seals and i was so excited about it because they were being clubbed and used for, right. you know, coats and stuff. So I had this great bill, and it passed. And during the debate, a Democratic colleague said, I really support, you know, my colleague, the gentle lady from California, and I want to associate myself with her remarks, which is exactly the right thing to say. But then he went on and said, as a matter of fact, I want to associate with the gentle lady from California. I turned bright red, and the Whoa. whole room, the whole room started laughing and guffawing, and my colleagues were laughing, and I turned bright, and I don't turn bright red very often. No. And then the chairman said, "I second that. I'd like to associate with her too." Now, there was no touching, there was no, you know, but it was demeaning. And after it was over, I went to see the chairman. It was this really? He was like at that time eighty or something, and he was from the south. Now, who, is, said, who is who are these folks? You'd well, I, you know, th I'm not mentioning anybody's names. They could all <laughs> we have to, we have to check the record point. on this. Okay. You don't have to. It isn't in the record because I went to the chairman. I said, please strike all of this from the record. It's wow. so humiliating. 
Yeah, it's humiliating. But actually, the chairman was Walter Jones, and he he was um, he said to me something very interesting, which was, I meant it as a compliment, mm. uh, Congresswoman. I was complimenting you, and I said, you know, I understand that, but that you need to know, this is not a compliment to a woman. You're making her embarrassed, and you're making her feel like you're voting for her because you like her. You're not. You don't think her work was worth it. Right. And he said, I didn't realize that. And so I think it was truly a learning moment for him. And he struck down, he struck the words from the record, yeah. Wow. And that was 1983. So I don't call that me too. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's just verbal embarrassment what? and power play. But, but the physical attack certainly was oh my gosh, uh, one yeah. of those moments. Yeah, but that, I'm lucky in my life that, you know, it only had to be once that someone threw me up against the wall. Yeah. Well, what do you do about about a case like involving uh, your your friend and former colleague Al Franken? I mean, I think that's one that you know I hear from Democrats are like, oh, I don't know, I, you know, where are we where are we going with this? What is what is your take on 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 that case? Mm-hmm. Well, I just wrote a piece about it about the fact that of course there are major differences between someone humiliating you with words, someone humiliating you by touching you when you don't expect it. By the way, that has happened to me. It's mm-hmm. humiliating. Um, it's not the same as being you know, forced up against a wall or forced into sex or uh, you know, the kinds of things we've seen. It's different. There are gradations of this. But honestly, we at this point, are going to see some of our friends get hurt. And I could tell you what would have happened if Al did not resign. Remember, he decided to resign. Yes. And I could, it was his decision. And I could tell you what I think would have happened if he didn't. There would have been hearings about this, endless. I headed the Ethics Committee for many years. It was the top Democrat for at least eight years, mm-hmm. maybe more on that committee. And they would have held all these hearings. They would have called. More people would have come forward. I can tell you that right now. And I don't think Al wanted to have that happen. And I don't think that would have been good for the Senate or the country or the Democratic Party. So, you know, honestly, uh, I, I absolutely agree there are these gradations. But nobody has a right to grab someone you know, by their private parts, it just don't. Mm-hmm. And even though it is certainly not akin to some of the other stories, it's very tough. But I don't think it was good for the country or for Al or for the party or the Senate had we had these extensive hearings with all these women coming and explaining in detail what he did. And I think he did the right thing. Let's let's talk about uh, California politics a little bit, which is w- one of your main focuses right now. You have uh, your super PAC, PAC for a change, I and do. you're and you're targeting the seven Republican House seats in California um, that that Clinton won. Um, now, two of your targets have dropped, uh, not running for re-election, Daryl Issa and Ed Royce, but there's a different challenge now. We're hearing talk that there's too many Democrats running. <laughs> there's 67 Democrats running. In the for the, the fourteen um, uh, Republican-held seats in in California, mm-hmm. that's more than the last three election cycles combined. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. a problem? And w- what do you do about that? 
Okay. Well, it could be a problem. Um, it's also exciting, mm-hmm. and I know there are certain uh, districts, I don't know exactly which one, where people are leaving the race because they understand mm-hmm. what could happen in our system now where the top two run off, we could conceivably get messed up. It's happened before where there are so many Democrats and few Republicans that the Republicans wind up running off against each other, and that would be a terrible <laughs> outcome. But let me just say my t- what I'm doing, um, because I can't solve every problem with my PAC, but what I can do is help the incumbents who, in the Senate, 10 of them, who are running in states where Trump won, and mm-hmm. we are going to give them as much financial support as we can. And then, yes, focus on the House in California, because the road to the majority leads through here. Mm-hmm. And it is true that two of the people that we advertised against have dropped out. And what the focus of my pack is to bring attention at this early stage to the Republican incumbent and his or her record. Mm-hmm. So we are pointing out that the Republicans voted against California, voted against their own constituents when they voted to take away to major degree the deduction on your tax returns for state and local. That was a direct hit. They voted to do away with Obamacare, and that was a direct hit at California because it said any state that respects a woman's right to choose cannot get subsidies or help for their constituents. And those are the constituents of these people, these Republican uh, members of Congress. And, you know, we can even expand it because... There are seven seats where Hillary won, but there's an additional three that Barack Obama won. Mm -hmm. So we actually have ten, and um, I cannot get into, (laughs) you know, the primary. I I just can't. I, you know, it's not my place to tell someone, don't run, but I could, if asked, you know, by you or others, put out a cautionary word that if you don't think in your heart of hearts you're the strongest candidate in these districts and you like the candidates, the others, and it's just a question of personality or excitement, you know, think hard and long because you don't want to feel responsible for losing this golden opportunity. But I'm not the person that's going to get involved. Now, the, the leaders of, like Nancy Pelosi, who are looking over all these races, they'll have a better chance to sit and talk to people because there are other opportunities. There's, you know, there's other things to run for. There are other elections. Right, right. And there's many races. Everybody always wants to sort of run at the top or run at the things. That's especially for yes, the first time. Yes. No, no. Yes. Some of these, these, these uh, districts, and you're, you're uh, Southern Californian but for most of the, most of, uh, the year these days, um, especially in Isa and Royce's district, those are, as they've been drawn over, you know, since since 2012, there's never been a Democrat to win any of them other than uh, Secretary Clinton. Uh, Romney beat Obama in these districts. Uh, Neil yeah. Kashkari won, beat Jerry Brown in these yeah. districts. Elizabeth yeah. Emkin beat Feinstein by seven points in, uh, <laughs> in, in these districts. And I, I, I was kind of shocked by that stat myself. Um, so what, it, 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 I, we did a story the other day, it said, uh, Democrats may be having some irrational exuberance over, you know, right. these seats. What, what's your? Are you? 
Do you feel that same way? No. There's no nothing irrational about running in a district where Hillary Clinton won and Trump lost. Mm -hmm. Because the issue against these incumbents are they're enablers. They are enablers of Donald Trump. What did they say when he did his immigrant bashing? Mm -hmm. Nothing. What did they do when he went after California in the tax bill? Nothing. And went after California in the Obamacare repeal? Nothing. What did they say? Nothing. They roll their eyes or they duck. And you know what? That is wrong. Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent, you want, and I was a representative. I represented uh, a sixth congressional district for 10 years. And the one thing I knew, I had to represent the district. And if anybody tried, whether it was a president of my own party or anybody else's, to go after my people or not be there if there's a disaster or hurt my people, I mean, that's politics 101. Mm -hmm. That's why you're there. So I think these people are showing that they have no leadership and they don't even care about the basic job, which is to protect, defend, and help and give opportunity to the people you represent. In the case of the House, about 600,000 people. Now, when we did our ad against ISA, mm -hmm. we pointed out that he was backing millionaire tax cuts, and that's why he voted you know, against Obamacare. And we had Trump in the ad. 600,000 people saw that. Mm -hmm. That ad is incredible. Yeah. And then we did an ad against Rohrbacher, 600,000 hits on that ad, uh, saying he's Putin's favorite congressman, mm -hmm. and that, you know, Putin is thrilled that Rohrbacher says he's running against <laughs> that's, that's And uh, in the case of, of, of Royce and the others, we said they scrooged us. That was after, you know, the tax cut vote. So my pack is focused on what I can do best at this time, which is to tell the truth about the people who we are going after. And then hope and work, and if asked, get involved in making sure that, you know, we don't have so many Democrats running. And you're right to, to call attention to it. It's a great news, scary news <laughs> situation. But we can only hope that, since we did lose a seat because of that, um, once in a few years ago, I forget which yeah, race. Regular seat, right? That's exactly yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And then I think we took it back, did we not? Yes, he won. Uh, so you know, we term. learned a lesson. We don't. I mean, you don't have to have a degree in political science to know <laughs> that uh, this could be very scary. So I'm focused on what I do best at this point, which is not get involved in contentious primaries and tell the truth about these incumbents. And we're so we're so excited about it, and I have. I tweet, and I have uh, every week. I have a boxer's corner where I kind of you, you couldn't stay with like Godfather Three. They keep pulling you back in. Well, I'm pulling myself <laughs> back in because I love this country. Just because yeah. I'm not in the Senate doesn't change it. Right. You know that thing people say. Didn't you have enough of this? And I just say, I love my country as much as I did before. And right. in a way, I am unplugged, and I am able to help other people, which I've always liked better. The worst thing about my life is, was having to raise money for myself. I'd rather do anything else. It's horrible. 
And so yeah. I always was hoping when I did my money calls that it went to voicemail. Speaking of someone who doesn't have to raise money, let's talk about Tom Steyer. He's spending $30 million on house races this year, which are Democrats, which I'm sure you like. And he's going to spend, he's already spent $20 million on his movement to impeach Trump, and he said he's going to double down on that. Is that a waste of time? I don't call any of it a waste of time. But is it a, is it the is it is it, is it is it a distraction? Pelosi is not a fan of this, as you know. No, I, I know. You know, I have a different view about politics, which is people are going to do what moves them, what makes them feel passionate, and of course, there's a case to be made right now for impeachment of Donald Trump, the abuse of power, the full-throated attack on the press, which Jeff Flake was right to say is reminiscent of Stalin and, dare I say, the fascists as well. This is, this is a time for us to look at this. All these women who have come forward who have said that he uh, sexually harassed them. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just touching the surface. Right. The fact that people in this world think so little of this country at this point, which is such a terrible reversal after Obama worked so hard to build up support in the world. We, we're no longer the world's leader. We're the world's laughingstock. There's a million reasons why. Because, you know, impeachment isn't a matter of, quote-unquote, breaking the law. There's also the issue of his uh, collaboration his, with the Russians. There's enough there without the special counsel to see that it happened. So there's every reason to say he should be impeached. Now, for me... Uh, I'm focused on these races mm -hmm. and focused on the people who are rolling their eyes at most. And he wants to focus on impeachment, and there are a lot of people interested in it. I don't have any bad words to say about it. Mm -hmm. What I love about what he's doing is he's getting involved in the ground game. Right. No, tons my, of to, to register young is, voters, yeah. Yeah, my pack is just not big enough to do that. We're big enough to do these ads. We're big enough to help people. But we, we're just not that well-funded. So I love that he's doing that. I love that better. I think it's essential. And he will be working in these districts. Um, because, look, you know, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell your listeners a story. Um, and then I have to go. And <laughs> this yeah, story One, one more is, quick question before we Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But this story is every time I ran, I always, I don't know if you remember, they were, oh, the experts always said, she'll never win, she'll never win. I've written that story win. seven times. I know. And, <laughs> and it, it's so funny. And, you know, no one really truly understood the relationship that I had with the people. But that's beside the point. Um, everyone thought I would always go. So every year, every six years when I was in the Senate, um, Mark Melman, my pollster, would come see me and he'd say, I've got really good news, good news, and bad news. <laughs> I said, okay, give me the really good news. If there's a really big turnout, you win in a landslide. So, oh, that's great. <laughs> What's the okay news? Well, if it's, if it's, you know, an okay turnout, you'll win by four or five. And I said, What's the bad news? If it's, if it's, if it's a bad turnout, you lose badly. So, you know, election day is about who the heck gets out of bed and goes to the polls. Right. We all know that. And that's why what Tom Steyer is doing is so important. And that's why what I'm trying to do, which is to light a fire, you know, under the voters is important because I still have 
some influence. We have, you know, half a million people on our email. I organize the Women's March in Palm Springs, mm-hmm. and we're selling our hats that say, Make America Sane Again. And so, you know, I'm out there doing what I can do as a citizen. And, and what I, another message, you know, for your listeners is this, that, you know, when Barack Obama said, I'm about to become a citizen, and that is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. He's so right, because the freedom that you have, you know, to still make change, it may even be bigger because people don't suspect you anymore. You know, they well, she doesn't want my vote. You know, she doesn't want my money. She, she's doing this out of the bottom of her heart, and people get that. You know, at right. a certain point. Anyway, one one last one. We yeah. are also on the verge of a uh, of a shutdown. You've been through a couple of these. Oh what, yeah. What's you know, uh, uh, invariably tomorrow I'm going to be writing a story. Who wins? Who does this help? I mean, we mm-hmm. can say that the, you know the Republicans obviously they own uh, they control all levers of government and it it should be on them. And but at the same time, doesn't everybody kind of lump what happens in Washington with on everybody kind of a pox on both your houses? What's, what you you've been through in a couple general, of these. They do, in general, they do, but in a shutdown, they're going to blame the people who run the show. It's so easy to avert a shutdown mm-hmm. in this case. We have a bipartisan solution in our hands. Dick Durbin, Lindsey Graham, seven other Republicans, and all the Democrats. That's, by my count, tremendous. So all we have to do is attach that, and we're done. So <laughs> this is absolutely unnecessary to play this game. And the only conclusion one can come to as to why Republicans don't want to do it is they're going to throw these dreamers under the bus. And 80% of the people understand when you are brought to this country at one year, two-year-old, three, eight, this, this wasn't your fault. This is the only country you know. And these are some of the best and the brightest people because there are so many rules that if you look at their behavior compared to the other population, they're outstanding people. So to lose the dreamers because somebody decided that they don't care, and that somebody is Donald Trump, Paul Ryan, and Mitch McConnell, you know, I think it's clear. If there wasn't a bipartisan solution at hand, I could see where people say maybe the Democrats didn't try. But Democrats did try, and this compromise does include some funding for the wall. It does include some changes in the immigration laws that Trump wants. So the truth is people are not dumb. They know who's running the show. A shutdown is a disaster for the country, and it's horrible for those who are controlling the presidency, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. It's one-party rule. It needs to be swept up and swept out. There's no reason for this unless Donald Trump meant it when he said, you know, I would enjoy or something. Like I don't <laughs> and know he alone can fix it. So uh, Something <laughs> like I would enjoy a good, a good shutdown. shutdown. Yes, good government it's shutdown. It's time for a good government shutdown. Well, if he gets it, um, it's going to stick to his party. Mm. Okay. Well, Senator, thanks so much. Hey, you know, I wanted to also just thank you. This is from like years and years ago, but in your last re-election, I never really told you this, but um, my dad died a month before the uh, election day, and you wrote a a very nice personal note, just kind of a a note of condolence. And um, 
Uh, my mom, who is a lifelong Republican, though she voted for Obama twice, uh, you, wow. you want a lifelong fan there. I passed it along to her, and, and I thought that was well, like, that's kind of a little behind-the-scenes moment. I know we, uh, we have our differences over the years, but uh, sure that do. was a very nice uh, thing sure to say. Sure we do. Well, if I could just say, to me, knowing the influence of my father, my mother, you know, I get, um, I get very choked up, and every one of us, could write a book about that, yeah. especially those of us who have had the courage to go out, whether it's to write our, our ideas, sometimes push wrong buttons and we become, you know, uh, a target of certain people. You have to have confidence to be, to put your name to something that you believe in, whether right. it's in the press, whether it's in po politics, whatever, a letter to the editor. And um, so, no, I mean, when it comes to family, I, I wrote my memoir and I sat down to, it was so interesting to write it, and the person I was, um, who was looking over it and said, you've got to write more about your childhood, because how did you become, you know, who you are? You get out there, you're not afraid to say what you think, you know, you're, you're not afraid to lose, et cetera. How did that happen? And, of course, when you do that, and, Joe, you'll do that, and, and you think about your dad um, and your mom, uh, you realize you get all that from them because the unconditional love because of them them believing in you so it's it's when i see somebody's losing a parent i tell you something it just you know i connect i connect i never get over losing my parents yeah no it, it, and you i'm don't. so you old don't. already and i still <laughs> think i wish they were here for me you know <laughs> <laughs> well hey thanks so much for being on it's all political uh this is uh, we will talk to you soon, and thank you, uh, and, you. and thank you so much. And for everybody else, we'll see you the next time. On no matter if you're a senator or if you're not a senator, <laughs> it's all political. It sure is. Bye, Joe. Bye, bye. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to thank Senator Barbara Boxer for coming on It's All Political today and remind you that you've been listening to the San Francisco Chronicle, listening to the Chronicle, not just reading it. Our producers are Fernando Diaz, Peter Hartlaub, and Brittany Schell. Our theme music, yes, theme music is Cattle Call by Randy Clark's Crow Song. If you like what you heard, good news, there's more. Listen to Chronicle podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com slash podcasts, plural or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services.